Coming up on Studios America, Jason Buttrill tells us who was really pulling the strings in the Trump-Russia investigation. Nancy Pelosi pushes the House to vote on Biden's two big bills today. Will she succeed? Will she just continue to suck? Who knows? We may never get the answer to that. And breaking down Glenn Youngkin's governorship victory this week reveals that he has some help, some big time help from a vital group of voters. Let's do White Chicks. Stu does America. Are you ready to do some white chicks, America? I'm sure you are. And I think I can avoid being canceled for calling them white chicks. Number one, I'm white. And so I'm allowed to say it. I think this is how it works. Number two, I, uh, you might say, well, you're not a chick. And then I would say, how do you know how I define myself? How do I identify I'm not telling you, it's none of your business, so you can't criticize me. White chicks, very important this week. Yes, it's interesting. It's, it's an interesting part of this. Glenn Youngkin, of course, wins in Virginia, and the Democrats are handed a historic defeat. I mean, it was a really bad day for them all around the country. They did squeak out New Jersey, but like when you're squeaking out New Jersey as a Democrat, and that's your good news, it's a rough week. It's a rough week for you. How did Glenn Youngkin do this in Virginia? Well, uh, one of the things he did was win with white chicks. Yeah, the sweater vest works, ladies, doesn't it? Uh, This is uh, what the the numbers look like. 37% of voters in Virginia were white chicks. 2021, Youngkin won those white chicks, 57 to 43%, a 14 point margin. That's a lot different than things looked in just one year ago in 2020 when Joe Biden won among white women 50 to 49 percent. So how does something like that happen? It's interesting. Now, it it wasn't just white women that turned the tide. There's a lot of interesting polling data as you broke it down. In fact, when you have women overall also moved toward uh, toward um, Youngkin, 38 percent to 46 percent in, in 2020 in the presidential election. Thirty eight percent went for Trump and he lost women 61 to 38. Not a way to win a state. However, uh, Youngkin closed that gap to only seven points, 53 to 46. When you look at uh, uh, gender and race kind of combined, as we mentioned, 59 percent or excuse me, 49 percent voted for Trump among white women back in 2020. That moved to 57%, an eight-point increase there. However, uh, the other part is black women also moved considerably towards the Republicans. In 2020, only 8% voted for Trump. In uh, 2021, Youngkin received 14% of the vote, almost doubling uh, share uh, among black women. Uh, And if you look at age, you kind of see an interesting pattern develop here, which is pretty much everybody went toward the Republican. Young voters, 33 to 45%, a 12-point swing. I mean, when the last time a Republican won voters eight or, or came within eight points of winning a, a race with 18 to 29-year-old voters in a swing state? It doesn't happen very often. 30 to 44-year-olds also moved towards Republicans from 39% for Trump in 2020 to 50% for Youngkin in 2021. Uh, Four-point move among 45 to 64-year-old voters towards Youngkin, and pretty much flat among seniors, really only a one-point move, which is interesting because you don't hear that narrative quite a bit. This is a move in Virginia among younger voters. That was the difference. Really kept the same percentage of older voters, and it didn't make 
uh, it didn't uh, really make much of a difference there. It was the difference was 18 to 29 uh, and 30 uh, in people in their 30s voting for Glenn Youngkin. And that was kind of the difference here. And it's an interesting thing. How do you take advantage of this? We've talked a little bit about what the strategy was here. The strategy was not Liz Cheney or, uh, you know, Adam Kinziger to say, hey, Donald Trump is bad and you can trust me. I'm a Republican, but I think Donald Trump is bad, just like you, Democrats. That's not what happened here. It also was not uh, some guy running as, you know, Matt Gates in, in Florida. You know, Matt Gates can win his district in Florida as a Republican, a big kind of MAGA guy. But would that work in Virginia in a statewide election? doesn't seem to have worked in many places statewide. Donald Trump seems to be the only guy who can pull off Donald Trump. And that's not a real surprise. He's a pretty unique guy. So when you try to run a Donald Trump clone, as, as the last time uh, they went for the governor race in uh, Virginia, they ran someone who was much more overtly MAGA, and they lost by a large margin. Donald Trump being in the news does not help suburban female voters in a state like Virginia. It just doesn't. Agree or not, It's just not the type of thing that they want to vote for. So how do you win an election in a purple-leaning blue state if you happen to be a Republican? Glenn Youngkin seemed to sort of nail this formula, and it's not an easy formula to nail. He uh, was able to say, hey, respect Donald Trump. He's one of the reasons I got into this race. I like the fact that he's an outsider. I like a lot of the stuff he did. But, you know, I'm not Donald Trump. Uh, You want to ask a Trump question? Go ask Donald Trump. They didn't run. They didn't campaign together. But Donald Trump supported him outwardly and said, I hope he wins. And I think he's going to do a great job. That's a good balance. You know, look, no matter how much you like Donald Trump, you can't build a party on one guy. Every single question about Republicans can't be about Donald Trump. There's not a future there. The man is in his 70s. You might remember this can't this isn't a long term strategy to embrace one big figure and make him the entire party. You have to be able to do different things. The Democrats have Joe Manchin and they have AOC. And yes, they are butting heads a little bit. We'll get into that a little bit later on in the program. But that sort of dynamic is needed to forge victories in different types of states. And Youngkin ran a really good race for this type of state. One of the worries that Republicans are dealing with now is how to replicate this. They don't need to replicate it in every red state. They can win those elections with either type. You can have an open primary. Republicans can come in. They can all say, well, I like the MAGA guy. I like the more moderate guy or whatever the dynamic is. You can pick one. And generally speaking, in you know Utah, you're going to win either way, right? Um, that's not really uh, a problem. I mean, look at Utah. You got Mitt Romney and Mike Lee. I don't know if you have two different senators representing the same state and the same party anywhere else in the union that are more kind of a, uh, more different than those two guys. Um, but how do you get the right candidate in the right position? One of the quirks about Virginia is the way they chose Glenn Youngkin, and I don't know that you can replicate this around the country. In Virginia, you have this situation where political parties are going to decide on their own how to nominate their candidates, and they're going to choose between a a nominating convention and a primary. Now, we all are sort of used to the primary system at this point. We all, if, if if you're registered as a Republican, you might be going to vote every couple of years in the primary to choose the best candidate for your party. Who do you want to run? Well, in Virginia, they decided to go with a convention. And a convention is going to do a couple of different things. Number one, it's going to keep most voters out of it. 
you didn't have a chance to vote for Glenn Youngkin or whoever else was on the ballot because it was in a convention setting. It's also going to give more control to the party. And the party, we all have problems with the Republican Party. Uh, I've got plenty of them. I list them all the time here. But when you come to a, uh, when you're going to the average voter, they're going to be more likely to pick the person who they believe most closely represents who they are. And if that's a real conservative, then a real conservative gets on the ballot. Well, maybe a real conservative or a MAGA person isn't the best guy to win in Virginia. The party there was able to put a lot of influence and say that Glenn Youngkin's probably the guy who can win here. And it wound up working in this instance. Now, we've seen this happen in red states where we don't need it where the, part, the party puts its uh, finger on the scale and winds up putting in some establishment person in a red state when you can get a real conservative. There's no need to do that. In these purple states, it's a lot more challenging. In fact, here, there was a, there was a candidate who was running um, for the Republican nomination in uh, Virginia, and she referred to herself as Trump in heels. Now, when you think of Trump in heels, you may think of this, uh, which is... Ivanka Trump in heels, which is, is actually a, a, a wonderful thing. However, Trump in heels in this case was Amanda Chase. And Amanda Chase is, uh, you know, she, for all that, I don't know all that much about her. I'm, uh, she, may be, uh, she may be wonderful, but she's been sort of a controversial figure in Virginia. And the party really did not want her to win the nomination. As she would very clearly point out, the party didn't want her. Well, if this went to a primary, the fear is that she would have won and then lost in the general election. How do you balance this? It's, it's, it's difficult, and it's also interesting to see this play out on the right, because it does happen on the right, but the same thing is happening on the left right now. They're doing a little bit of soul-searching right now. There's two ways to look at these results from uh, this past Tuesday, and it's, it's a hell of a lot better to watch them go through it than have to go through it ourselves, which is, what kind of candidate are we supposed to run? Now, the far left is saying one thing. AOC and and her ilk are all coming out sort of in unison and giving this same type of message. Watch. Plus, on the election front, I actually think we have good news as well. I know that Virginia was a huge bummer. And honestly, if anything, I think that the results show the limits of trying to run a fully 100 percent super moderated campaign that does not excite, speak to, or energize a progressive base. And frankly, we weren't even really invited to contribute on that race. Now, this is very typical of every single person that goes through this situation. Of course, if they had just done it her way, everything would have been fine. That's always the lesson everyone has after every election. Uh, But which one is right here, right? I mean, if they had run AOC... Uh, or a version of AOC in that primary, Youngkin would have won by 14. That's, this is what we should want, right, as Republicans, or conservatives at least, libertarians, to look at this and say, hey, yeah, run the most AOC candidate you can find, because those people are beatable in a big-time way. The harder candidates are sensible and can relate to average people. Not like AOC. I mean, AOC can win her district because her district is the 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 bluest of the blue. But can AOC win in a state that is not super blue? I mean, certainly no evidence 
of this occurring. It's very difficult to find examples of someone with AOC's uh, values going and winning a statewide race outside of the bluest of blue states. Um, now, we're seeing the other side push back, too. Let me give you a couple examples. I played these the other day. I'm going to play them again. This is uh, Van Jones on CNN, first of all, talking about how the Democratic Party is viewed by average people. I think that the Democrats are coming across in ways that we don't recognize that are annoying and offensive mm-hmm. um, and seem out of touch in ways that I don't think show up in our feeds when we're looking at, at, at our kind of echo chamber. And he's right on that. And uh, it's clear, right? This is something that hits people. You know, we could talk about tax policy all we want. And by the way, on this particular program, we will. This is what we do here. Nerdy chats and spreadsheets are our heart. That's what we love here on Studios America. But like, if you look kind of like at the way they view this, there is a, a dynamic that they are trying to figure out and they don't know how to figure it out right now. They don't know how, uh, you know, hey, I want a boy to go into the girls you know, locker room at our high school. They don't see that as bizarre. They see that as the right thing to do, I guess. And they don't see how that hits an average voter. They don't see how it hits an average voter to watch their daughter lose a cross-country race against some dude uh, wearing a dress. I don't know why he'd be wearing a dress at the actual meet, but you understand what I'm saying. They They don't see how it hits people when they say, hey, we should focus solely on race to judge someone. I can understand how that would relate to 1780 Virginia, but I don't know how that relates to 2021 Virginia. And the people in 2021 Virginia, Republicans, Libertarians, normal Democrats, all see that as bananas. They don't want their kid learning that race and the color of their skin is the most important thing about them. So they they flee from it. So you run an AOC and that's what you get. Um, And, you know, the the. Some Democrats, like a Terry McAuliffe, who's a very well-versed sort of, you know, inner beltway type of guy, knows he can't come out and say all of those things. He did let some of them slip. But generally speaking, he was not running that type of campaign per se. Um, The midpoint between those two places and a place where the Democrats found lots of comfort over the past five years was to just say that it was Donald Trump. Donald Trump, 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 Trump. We're not Trump. We're not Trump. We're not Trump. Don't worry what we are. We just aren't Trump. And that worked in a place like Virginia. Uh, It's faded, though. Van Jones pointed that out as well. The whole anti-Trump resistance being the only rationale for us to be a party, that is dead tonight. Dead. It's over. And this is a message that the Democrats better receive if they want to win any seats in 2024. But also, it's also put sort of the fear of God into moderate Democrats who see how an average voter views them. And they are trying to figure out how do we turn away from this before giving Joe Biden really any wins on the policy front. Now, you know, Joe Manchin's been holding up these these bills in Washington, D.C. He commented on the direction of the Democratic Party after the election. Watch. We just have to work together. We can't go too far left. This is not a center left or a left country. We are a center, if anything, as a little center right country. And this means that's being shown. And we ought to be able to recognize that. And all of my friends on the left are progressives or liberals or whatever. I said, I'm not. I always say that I'm a, I'm a responsible West Virginia Democrat. 
and I, I'm fiscally responsible and socially compassionate. I think most people in the middle feel that way. He's got the shtick down, doesn't he? Now, whether he actually holds up on this bill, who knows? We'll have more on that here coming in a couple seconds. But um, I also want to give you this from James Carville. Now, Carville is an old school. I mean, he's an old Clinton guy, right? I mean, he, he's an old school guy. He knows he, he's very comfortable, a guy who lives in uh, New Orleans, very comfortable with what a Southern Democrat might think. And he sees this wokeness as poisonous as everybody else does, at least to the electorate. Watch. James Carville, to you, looking at these results, party, uh, what went wrong? What went wrong is just stupid wokeness. All right, you don't just look at Virginia and New Jersey. Look at Long Island. Look at Buffalo. Look at Minneapolis. Even look at Seattle, Washington. I mean, just defund the police lunacy to take Abraham Lincoln's name off of schools. I mean, that people see that. <laughs> and yeah, it, 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 it's, it's just really a, have a suppressive effect all across the country. The Democrats, some of these people need to go to a woke detox center or something. I mean, that they're, they're expressing a language that people just don't use. And there's a backlash and a frustration at that. I mean, that's the way to say it, right? You see these things. You see them happening. You see Thomas Jefferson statues being torn down, Abraham Lincoln being taken off of schools, George Washington, Frederick Douglass, uh, Benjamin Franklin statues being defaced. People see that. They don't want to be associated with it, just like they don't want to be associated with, you know, the, the Tiki Torch guys in Charlottesville. They don't want to be associated with people who are tearing down Abraham Lincoln either. In fact, both sides probably want to tear down Abraham Lincoln. The bottom line is people are running from what the Democrats are bringing. And that lesson hit them squarely in the face on Tuesday. Thanksgiving is less than three weeks away. Okay, now let me give you a couple strategies for Thanksgiving. Number one, the pre-burn. Okay, pre-burn means... You know how like you come off of a, a vacation where you just stuff your face with food all the time and then you feel like you have to like bu- buckle down and like, you know, suck it in and, you know, I don't know, eat right for a couple of weeks to get off the whole vacation. You could do that in advance, too, and it's better to do it in advance. You do it in advance. Do it before it comes. Have a built bar instead of some dessert this weekend, right? Have a built bar to replace a meal. Have a built bar for a snack. 130 calories, you can totally deal with that. It's going to fill you up. You're going to feel good. And then when you go into Thanksgiving, you can jam all the food down your gullet that you want. Now, at the end of that Thanksgiving meal, you might be saying, oh, I, don't, I really don't know if I should have some crazy dessert Maybe have a built bar for dessert. Maybe when you're having leftovers the next day, you're having the turkey and cranberry and mayonnaise uh, sandwich, right? You're doing that. Uh, when you're done with that, maybe have a built bar for dessert instead of a 19th piece of pie. These are decisions that make sense for rational people. You might not be rational. And you know what? It's okay if you're not rational on Thanksgiving weekend. But try to maybe in advance get on the bandwagon a little bit. Built.com is the place to go to get built bars. Built.com. They have all these great flavors. Stew15 is the promo code to save 15% off your first order. Just use that promo code. Stew15 for 15% off right now at Built.com. It's Built.com. He is one of the most frequent guests on this program, yet he is an incredible drought. He never shows up anymore. Every time I try to book him, he says no. 
Jason Buttrell is here. Blame my people. They've got me booked all over the place, you know. <laughs> O'Reilly book. No, yeah, no. <laughs> Welcome to the program. Thanks. Great to see you. Um, so uh, let's start with the report. Um, the report is supposed to come out during the Trump administration. Everyone's thinking there's going to be this big, um, uh, I don't know, like news event where we find out all the people who were spying on Trump and uh, who set the Russia investigation into motion all these years ago. And then the election happens and we never know any of it. Fast forward now, you know, 10 months or to a year. And now we're starting to get bits and pieces of what's really going on here. Yeah, so the uh, the Danchenko, uh, which is funny, that doesn't sound like a scary, evil guy behind the dossier. It sounds like the polka king of New Jersey <laughs> or something <laughs> yeah, yeah, like that. Yeah. But um, the, the, yeah, the Danchenko indictment mm. uh, dropped. And it's significant, I will say. It. I'm okay. surprised. Like, in a normal world, this would be on every cable news network anywhere. Really? And well, I got all the screens up behind me at my desk out there. Not a single one of them is covering this right now. Which is absolutely not insane. Not even Fox. Fox mm. is covering something else stupid, like I don't know, like a cat video or something. Compared right. to this, <laughs> okay. I mean, this should be front and center. Okay, so who is Danchenko and what what's going on with us? So Danchenko, uh, Igor, uh, or is it Igor? Uh, he was the main analyst for the Steele dossier. Mm -hmm. So you know, Christopher Steele, everyone knows who he is, former MI6 British uh, MI6 guy. Most of the focus was on him when the dossier came out. Well. I, Igor is working for Danchenko, is working for Steele as the main guy that's getting all of this information. Mm -hmm. Now, when this came out, I mean, I, what was it? Was it like a month or so ago? There was the indictment on Sussman, the lawyer. Mm -hmm. I thought that was very, it didn't really matter too much. It was right. mo mostly a nothing burger. So I was like, oh my gosh, this is what we can expect. Well, when they popped uh, uh, Danchenko, this is something. So just right off the bat, I remember a few, uh, now this is like, I think it was like in July, 2020. So last year, we did a little thing on what we said, these are the people that might be in trouble here. And it was mostly lower tier people. Mm -hmm. Danchenko was one of the people that we had picked out. Okay. Um, so Glenn's already on the record of calling this guy out a year ago. But what we noticed was, is you know, there were things in the Steele dossier that didn't, or in the, uh, in the FBI's um, uh, reporting for getting the FISA warrants, was just kind of odd. First off, they said that um, Danchenko was credible because he's Russian based. So he had all these connections over there. Well, he lives here in the United States, so he's not Russian-based. Hmm. Um, I, I, I think he's just a, I think he's a resident, a citizen. I'm not exactly sure on that, but he lives here. He sounds Russian, though, so it's okay to call him Russian-based. Sounds Russian <laughs> or the Polka King of New Jersey. Or the Polka either King or. Jersey, yeah. <laughs> um, but so that that was one red flag. Um, there were multiple other red flags, like uh, he, he was a serial uh, public intoxication, you know, uh, getting busted for that. Oh, really? Um, so he was. So he's fun. Pretty, he's fun. Mm -hmm. He's pretty much fun a drunk. <laughs> um, got busted multiple times. The FBI left that out, though. They didn't re put that on there as, the, you know, they didn't provide it. They just said he was credible, not that he was a serial criminal for getting busted. Uh, sure. Public okay. intoxication all the time. Multiple other things. And he had some strange connections, which I'll get to in a second. Um, well, no, I'll just get to it. Uh, he had a connection to Fiona Hill, which, uh, do you remember right. her? I remember her name, yeah. She was the one that looked like Severus Snape in the uh, impeachment <laughs> trial. Um, she was the one that uh, was one of the star witnesses, yeah. right? That well. was, you know, saying, yeah, Trump's a bad guy or whatever, and all these bad things. Well, uh, Danchenko was Fiona Hill's protege at the Brookings Institute. Mm. Um, that was kind of odd. Well, we did a little bit more digging, and we found out that um, Fiona Hill actually introduced Danchenko to Christopher Steele. Introduced them. Okay. 
Um, and he made another, she made another introduction, which I'll get to in a second. But just off of looking at this, I mean, I read the entire indictment, of course, which I always do. And uh, just from right off the top, you find out that the FBI knew that Danchenko was, he got busted for lying to the FBI. Mm-hmm. But they knew that he was a liar back in 2017. 2017. Wow. But still they used these, the, the dossier, even though he lied about multiple things in it, as a reason to continue the investigation and go after Trump. 2017, the FBI knew about it. Um, not only did not only the, the, the FBI know about it, but uh, the Washington Post, and this is in the indictment, the Washington Post knew that this, was, uh, this guy was lying. Not only that, but they knew that he had been investigated as being, and this is in the, more of the FBI documents, that Danchenko was once a subject of a counterintelligence investigation for being a Russian asset. Mm, okay, so he, <laughs> geez, he is um, not a dependable guy. No. He is the guy who gets and his seemingly his part of his defense on this is that he was just supposed to get raw research. He wasn't supposed to necessarily check it. He's just supposed to get rumors and everything else and then deliver that to steal. Yeah. So what, what he's being charged with is just lying to the FBI or is there more to what they're actually charging him? So as of now, it's just lying to the FBI. Okay. I think that there might could possibly be some other things that, that come out of this. But the things that he was charged with lying about were pretty big. Okay. Like actual like claims that, that, that were found out to be false. Um, he just said, hey, I had this meeting with this guy, and this is what he told me. He put that in a still dossier. Now we find out that meeting never happened. Mm. He completely fabricated it. Now, one of the things I want everyone to understand is in these indictments, one of the fun things for nerds like me is to try and figure out who the unnamed people, the masked <laughs> right. people are. In yes, these things. yes. Um, for one, and this is probably oh, but the, sometimes they do stuff like presidential candidate one. I know, right? Like, All right, right. We, we know who it is. Which is the same here. It was okay. so easy. We, the entire Internet found out who these people were <laughs> instantly when it was put on. Wow. But one of them was, it was a contact that Danchenko would get his information from, a lot of the information from, including the infamous P-tape stuff. Oh. Now, we all knew that was bullcrap. Yeah. But the FBI used that. And that was, you know, also not only FBI, but that was, you know, huge and swaying public opinion. You know, they wanted to roast Donald Trump for some of this stuff. Sure. But um, he was listed as um, Public Relations Executive One. Now, we did some digging. We found it's actually Charles Dolan, not the businessman media mogul Charles Dolan, but this guy's just a PR guy. Um, Back in, I think, 2016 or 2006, 2014, he was actually working for a bunch of Russians um, doing PR for them, which Mm. was kind of interesting, including a lot of the names that would wind up in the Steele dossier. Um, But he was getting a bunch of information, well, he was not getting information. He was passing off false claims to Denchenko. Then Denchenko would then put that in the Steele dossier, and then Christopher Steele would leak that to the FBI and leak that to the media. Well, the problem is Charles Dolan is, of course, a longtime Clinton ally, mm. uh, was in the Bill Clinton administration, then passed off and then worked for Hillary Clinton. So Wait. I'm dead serious. Wait a minute. Yeah. Because this, this research, the Steele dossier, Funded initially by some uh, right-wing opponent to uh, to um, uh, Trump initially back in 2015 or whatever, but eventually became a piece of Clinton research. So you're telling me Clinton, the Clinton campaign, pays what was it Fusion GPS, mm-hmm. who then gets steel 
to get Danchenko to ask a Clinton PR person for yes. the information on Donald Trump? You're exactly right. <laughs> what? I know. It's insane. It's the most insane thing ever. For, first and, of all, it's a terrible expenditure by Hillary. Just go to the guy. Right. Right. I know. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah it's, so, it's so ridiculously circular. But I mean, the P tape thing came from him. Wow. Uh, the, the dates he said that he was uh, there uh, were false. Um, the, uh, th- there was something else. What was it? There was another, there was a meeting that he said he had with a, with a GOP rep that, um, was uh, trying to go after Paul Manafort. That meeting he admitted to the FBI was a complete lie, but he passed that information off to Danchenko to make it look like Manafort was dirtier than he was and to make it look like they were dealing in a back end way with the Russians. All this stuff wound up in the Steele dossier. Mm. Um, it was total fabrication. So basically, I mean, there's no other way to call it. This is not the Steele dossier. This is the Clinton dossier. It's absolutely the Clinton dossier. And you make, it makes you want to wonder, was it the, were the Clintons running this or were the Russians running this? Because there are so many Russian fingerprints with uh, uh, Doyle's uh, connections with, uh, with Russia that I, it's, it's kind of hard to imagine right now. It's anything but anything having to do with the Trump administration. I mean, Incredible. this completely absolves. If you, if you doubted it at all, now you definitely doubt it. I mean, you, you don't doubt it. You know it. This and, is- and the media took this, and they didn't necessarily say everything in was true, but they spent a lot of time parsing the difference and saying, well, we can't disprove everything in there. No, it's never been disproved. Now, I don't know how that standard arises as the appropriate standard, right? Like, you yeah. know, here's a bunch of crazy rumors. Disprove them all? How can you possibly disprove a Russian P tape? It's impossible. <laughs> the, the Washington Post wrote about this last night, and they put a little, little small little paragraph. It said, you know, the revelations of this indictment seem to call into question lots of media reporting back from these dates to this date including the Washington Post. Uh, the the media malfeasance it. on this is absolutely insane. Yeah. I mean, you have got to, you really do need to do your own homework and you need to go back and look at everything they reported on. Because now, I mean, it puts a lot of things into question. Uh, the, a lot of the Paul Manafort stuff. Um, I don't know if you remember, like the Black Ledger from Ukraine was their yeah, smoking yeah, gun. Oh, yeah, yeah. There were a lot of people that said, this is total you know, crap. Um, the media said otherwise, you need to go back and look at that. All the stuff they said about Michael Flynn, you need to go back and look at that. Mm. Because if it's anything as bad as this right here, the Steele dossier, everything that was said about Donald Trump and the people around him for the last four years, complete and total horse crap. I mean, that is a really, it's really amazing. And you, it's got to be frustrating for Trump, who really wanted this to come out before uh, the election. But, you know, getting the truth out, I'm sure, is, is something he you know, prioritizes. Oh, I got a guy. Sorry. Give me one more. The Fiona Hill thing. Yeah, yeah. I meant to do a payoff on that. I was reading the indictment, and she was think tank employee one, um, which at first was like, what? But then when you read about it, so she was the one that introduced Demchenko Mm -hmm. to um, Christopher Steele. She also introduced uh, Demchenko to Doyle. So, and that's very, very important. This is the PR guy? Uh, that's the PR guy. Okay, okay. The mm. Clinton PR guy. Yeah, you said Dolan, I think, initially. Is, is it Doyle uh, or Dolan? Because uh, you said the media mogul, so that's why I was thinking Dolan. Dolan, Charles okay. Dolan, yeah. Dolan, yeah. So um, that's really interesting. A lot of names here. A lot of names. Yeah, yeah. So at the, uh, at, at the impeachment trial, which she was one of the star witnesses, she was asked very bluntly, what did you know about the Steele dossier? Uh, which is, again, interesting because she made a very big point to come out and say, I want to make this clear, or I, I want to make this statement or something like that, she, that she had never heard of it until it was published by BuzzFeed. That's when she uh, said she heard about it. But she actually connected Steele and Danchenko. And the main people working on it. 
seriously? Right. Why would she come out and say that if that's true? I don't know. I, I think that's kind of the, the arrogance and hubris of a lot of these people. That They thought that they were just going to get away with it, and they had all these people on their side. Mm. She needs to be brought back in front of Congress and say, in light of this, yeah. do you want to restate what you said? Yeah. Um, so... Uh, how much bigger does this blow up? Do we have any sense as to, I mean, because Danchenko is still, as you pointed out, a lower level player in this. Yeah. It's important to make sure all these people are held accountable. But like what? More things are coming. More is coming. More, more are coming. Um, this sets, this spins us off in a whole nother way. Um, there were so many connections to the Brookings Institution. Mm. I think that they're looking at, I think Devin Nunes actually said that several months ago that they were looking into the Brookings Institution. And they're like a... Uh, center-left think tank. They're right. not like a hardcore left-wing. They sometimes will produce economic research that disproves left-wing ar- ar- uh, arguments. But they are definitely on the left. They're definitely on the left. And especially the, you know, the establishment left idea of foreign policy. They're, they're with them all mm. the way. Um, okay. But, but you, we, right now we have two uh, people from the Brookings Institute. We had Fiona Hill and we had uh, the Polka King in New Jersey. <laughs> so, um, but we also have uh, Talbot. Uh, Talbot's the president of uh, Brookings. And um, we know, and we, I think we reported on this uh, last year, that um, Talbot's brother was working on his own style of uh, dossier. And, and Christopher Still actually used the stuff from uh, his, Talbot's brother to corroborate his information. Well, they were getting all the same information. They, he just used the stuff that he already was getting from Danchenko and said, hey, see, this is both the same. This must be real. So when you, when you, if you look at this and you step back a little bit and you look at the levels of this, is this um, normal campaign tactics? Is, are, are these really, like, outrageous, like, you know, dirty tricks of a campaign? Or is it like an international spy ring? Well, this is complete fabrication. This is not finding out that so-and-so had, you know, took money from some group, you know, right. and whatever. Like, I guess that's legitimate opposition research. Sure. These are complete lies, complete fabrications. And it goes even further than that. Let's say, you know, let's say, okay, fine, politicians lie all the time. Well, they were deliberately using this to funnel this information in to put people like Bruce Orr over at the uh, DOJ mm-hmm. to get this into the DOJ and to get this into the FBI. So an act- that's when you're starting to get to crime uh, you know, material right there because they violated the rights, the civil rights of people like Carter Page. They right. violated them not once but multiple times using these lies that all of them knew were lies. I mean, I don't see how you can get away with that. Why? Why Carter Page? Like no one even knows who Carter Page is. Oh, right? he was. Yeah, I mean, he got totally screwed in this. But like, why were they just trying to get anyone that was associated with Trump? Was that the strategy? Yeah, well, it's it's more than that because Carter Page was directly implicated in the bogus Steele dossier. Hmm. So if they could show that at least one person was legitimately, or convince people that one person was legitimately in league with Vladimir Putin, then of course the entire administration could be. Hmm. So Carter Page was just their, you know, the, the, like the, the poster yeah. child to, to prove that they're all guilty. But he wasn't. Yes, I think they committed crimes there. Wow. All right. Uh, Jason Buttrell. Uh, now, you're, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, at Jason Buttrell. Okay. At Jason Buttrell. Good place to follow because he's the one who knows who all these names are and all <laughs> these people are. And I can't keep track of it. So we have to bring Jason in every once in a while to explain it to us. Because between, other than you and Glenn, I don't know anybody who actually can keep all, you know, keep this all straight. I, I keep it straight. I know all the names. And Glenn just butchers the names when he yeah. tries to read them, including <laughs> my own. Yeah, well, yeah, that's true. That's still going on. Uh, Jason, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having okay. me. So the rule for the vaccine mandate is out, which means the lawsuits have begun. Yes, a new lawsuit out Missouri, uh, Arizona, Montana, 
and Nebraska and Arkansas and North Dakota and South Dakota plus Alaska and New Hampshire and Wyoming have all sued. Plus also Iowa. Iowa notable mainly because uh, they have a Democratic attorney general. They joined the suit with the 10 other Republican states. In addition to that, three other states, Ohio, Kentucky and Tennessee, sued the government just after the mandate was announced. As did Louisiana, Indiana, and Mississippi. They filed a vac- uh, another uh, lawsuit against the vaccine. And Texas individually sued. That's how we do it here, by the way. We don't go. We don't join your big group lawsuits. We do it on our own. Texas individually lo- sued the administration as well. Ken Paxton. I think he's going to be on radio Monday. If you want to get an update on that. Um, also, Indiana's attorney general said he plans to file not one, not two, but three different lawsuits. Georgia is also filing a lawsuit. And Florida has announced they will file a lawsuit. Um, South Carolina, West Virginia, Idaho, Alabama, and Kansas also say that they plan to file a lawsuit. Kansas is also interesting because their Democratic governor has come out against the administration's federal vaccine mandate. Also against the vaccine mandate is every founding father that lived all of them who wrote the documents, they also are against the vaccine mandate. And you don't give me the George Washington thing. That's the military. It's different. That's what I say. Anyway, um, another interesting development in this world, which makes the vaccine uh, mandates even dumber than they might otherwise be, is that Pfizer has announced they have an experimental pill that reduce, uh, reduces a hospitalization risk and death from COVID by 89%. Now, this is on the heels of Merck announcing they had a pill that did the same thing at about 50% uh, margin. And this is what I think people get so locked into, like, I love this treatment. I want the vaccine only. I want hydroxychloroquine only. I want ivermectin. I want this pill. I want mon- antibodies. What does it matter? The fact is that there is now a menu of vaccines and treatments and different ways to avoid the coronavirus. Take your menu, pick the things that you want, judge your risk for yourself. I'm not your dad. Anthony Fauci's not your dad. Make a decision as an adult and live with the risk associated with it. We should be able as a society to to do that at this point, whether that actually happens or not. I mean, the Biden administration seems to be absolutely determined to not let you do that. But the American people are just saying, screw you. We're doing it anyway. And that's the right way to be. Are you interested in buying or selling a home right now? If you are, you know what the market looks like. You know it's pretty intense. And you better have somebody on your side that knows what they're doing. Uh, Many years ago, Glenn Beck started a company called realestateagentsitrust.com. And that company was designed to basically help, honestly, it was designed to help him through his real estate agent hassles. But it works for everybody else, too. You need to have somebody on your side that knows the market, that knows how to do, whom you can actually trust, and somebody who can go through this process and get you the most for your money. Really important. When you're talking, it's one thing to spend 30 cents more on a hamburger or 10 cents more on a gallon of gas. It's another thing when you spend 10 or 20 or 30% more on a house, it can wipe you out for years to come. Make sure that you do this the right way. Find the real estate agent that can get you through it. Realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go. It's realestateagentsitrust.com. Drama in Washington. Dun, dun, dun. 
the Democrats are fighting back and forth with each other. And this reminds me that Nancy Pelosi sucks. Mm, that's right. Nancy Pelosi, sucksPen.com. Back in stores right now for the holidays. Well, one store at StuDoesMerch.com or Nancy Pelosi, sucksPen.com. Great Christmas present. I mean, how do you not give that to your friend? And it will remind them that, uh, of course, Nancy Pelosi sucks, and she does. Uh, Nancy's been uh, doing a multi-day harassment campaign against everybody in the House to try to get them to vote uh, for something. They have now completely reversed themselves again. They are like the drunk driver. You're, you're behind on July 4th weekend, and they're just coming back from the picnic, and they're just swerving all around the road, changing directions every which way. Now they're saying once again that these two bills may not move together. The infrastructure bill, you remember, was supported by a bunch of Republicans. Uh, and, of course, the giant uh, reconciliation bill, which is the one they only need 50 votes for in the Senate. The idea here is to try to get a vote on the infrastructure bill now and just pass that part of it. And they'll just say, OK, we'll get that part done. Don't worry about it, I swear. Um, and we'll get back to you progressives on the on the you know multi-trillion dollar reconciliation bill coming up later on. Um, so now the progressives are saying we're not going to vote on the bipartisan bill. And the conservatives are saying, well, we're not going to vote. Uh, conservatives in major air quotes. The moderates are saying, hey, we're not going to vote on your crazy spending bill then. And they're at this impasse. Nancy can't solve the problem. Why? Because Nancy Pelosi sucks, Penn. Dot com. That's going on right now. Also, um, uh, Joe Biden is walking back his comments on the migrant families. Remember this interaction with Steve Ducey. As you were leaving for your overseas trip, there were reports that were surfacing that your administration is planning to pay illegal immigrants who are separated from their families at the border up to $450,000 each, possibly a million dollars per family. Do you think that that might incentivize more people to come over illegally? Uh, if you guys keep sending that garbage out, yeah. Garbage. But it's not true. So this is a garbage report? Yeah. Okay. So $450,000 $450, per person. Is that what you're saying? That was separated from a family member at the border under, under the last administration. That's not going to happen. Okay. So he's very, you see him call out the specific number, $450,000. Well, after he called it a garbage report, not going to happen. Uh, they had to walk it back. The president is perfectly comfortable oh. with the Department of Justice settling with the individuals and families who are currently in litigation with the U.S. government. That's different. You know, DOJ can obviously speak more to obviously. that process. The obviously. president was what he was reacting to mm -hmm. uh, was the dollar figure that was mentioned that you Just mentioned to him number. yesterday. Uh, as press accounts to date indicate, there's been press accounts on this. DOJ made clear to the plaintiffs that the reported figures are higher than anywhere that a settlement can land. <laughs> so again, focusing on the specific number, even though the report said up to $450,000, these people are liars. StudosAmerica.com is a place to get all the links to the show. If you go to our Facebook page, we'd love you to do that. And you click like, you hover over that menu there, and then make the, uh, this show 
on one of your favorite pages, you'll actually get the content and defeat the evil big tech algorithm robots. Uh, Scott writes in, he says, uh, split your company up into a smaller LLC with less than 99 people in each business. That way you can avoid the vaccine mandate. Not a bad idea, although they're already kind of floating an idea to make it even less than 100 employees. What a surprise. Over on YouTube, Jesse writes, my wife got donuts yesterday and they were almost $1 each. I don't want to live in a world where a donut costs a dollar. That's not fair. You're right. It's not only not fair, but it's completely evil. Uh, You can subscribe at YouTube as well. All the shows are there. Make sure you do that. We have a a brand new exclusive piece of content as well. Uh, A a fun food review. You're going to like that, I think, as well. Um, Also, you can listen to the show on podcast. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars when you hit uh, subscribe and give us a wonderful review. It's great. Whatever. I really enjoy your program. I listen to it at work after I listen to Glenn's show. It helps helps bring me out of the depression spiral that his show puts me in. Five freaking stars. Okay, so here's what happened. Guy in Brazil, a bunch of bees are attacking him. He jumps into a lake to escape the bees. He is eaten by piranhas. Have a great weekend, everybody.